Good morning. Please take your seats and grab your Bibles. Open into Psalm chapter 10. We've got Lord willing uh, this week, and then we'll do Psalm 11 and Psalm 12, and then we'll get ready for a new series. So, got about three weeks left in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 10, let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for your great love for us. It's steadfast. It never changes. And we see that clearly in the gospel because your children have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who pleads for us. And you've given us your Holy Spirit. We ask that by the power of the Spirit, you would open our eyes to understand your word and to be able to see you clearly in this passage today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my earliest and most vivid memories is being scared to death in a haunted house. For some reason, my parents took me when I was five years old. And mom and dad, if you're listening to the podcast, I want to know why. I want to know why you took me to a haunted house. We went to the Transylvania Hotel, a haunted house in my hometown. I remember walking in and climbing up those large steps and hearing the Halloween soundtrack that was playing. And I was scared to death. I was done. As far as I was concerned, we could leave then and we would have got our money's worth. But we continued as a family through the dark hallways and the dark rooms with all the other people who were screaming and yet not leaving. And I clung tightly to my dad's pant leg as we made our way through the very dark haunted house. And after every turn, it seems like there was a new monster that awaited us. And each time we saw a new monster, my grip on my dad's pant leg got tighter and tighter. And then it happened. Amidst the darkness and the chaos, I was separated from my dad because someone came screaming out of one of the rooms. And that person that came out screaming from one of the rooms apparently had played Red Rover before because they were able to separate my hand from my dad's pant leg. But miraculously in the darkness, after I scrambled around and groped around in the darkness, I found my dad's pant leg again and my grip at that point, was the tightest that it had ever been. Nothing was going to separate me from my dad's pant leg again. And then we came to an area where there was some light, and I looked up to see my dad's face, and I saw it. Only now it was green and had these bolts coming out of his neck. In the darkness, I had groped for my dad's pant leg, but somehow happened to latch onto Frankenstein's instead. <laughs> Needless to say, I let go and searched for my dad and found him. And then I traded in my grip on my dad's pant leg in favor of his grip on me as he held me close and I buried my face in his chest. 
The Christian life is like that sometimes. We grope in the dark looking for the pant leg of Jesus, if you will. Wondering, where is God in the darkness? We wonder, where is he at when we don't see him? Has he disappeared? Well, what do you do when everything in life seems dark and God is nowhere to be found? What do you do when it seems like God is hiding? What do you do when you can't see him anymore? What do you do when life seems like a haunted house? When it seems like God is hiding and you can't see him, keep on seeking him. When it seems like God is hiding and You can't see him. Keep on seeking him. That's what Psalm 10 is telling us. God often hides and we wonder where he is. We wonder why things are the way they are. We wonder why he just doesn't intervene now. We wonder why he just doesn't intervene yesterday. And it is precisely during these times when God seems hidden That we must seek him. Sometimes God hides or he appears hidden. So that we will seek him. So Psalm 10 comes along to tell us that uncomfortable conditions. Are designed by God to make us feel discomfort. Precisely so that we will seek the God of all comfort. And now you know the answer to the two questions in verse 1. Wasn't that kind of me? I just gave you the answer to the questions that David asks in verse 1. Look at verses 1 and 2. David says, Why, O Lord, O Yahweh, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. Right off the bat, David breaks the rules of prayer. There's no dear God, heavenly Father. He just jumps in and he starts asking God questions. Why are you just sitting back and doing nothing, Yahweh? The zombie apocalypse is upon us. The wicked hotly pursue the poor. And you are nowhere to be found. What's up with that, Lord? Life in Israel is like a haunted house. It's a horror movie. The boogeyman is chasing people, hotly pursuing them. And when you read David's words in verse 1, It's really abrupt, especially if you just read Psalm 9. In Psalm 9, David was rehearsing the gospel. We saw that last week, reminding himself that the Lord was on his throne, reigning in righteousness, executing justice, and that Jesus is always busy photobombing his people. He's always in the picture of their life, always working for their good, always working for His glory. But here in Psalm 10, David seems to forget temporarily that Yahweh is on his throne. He doesn't even know where the Lord is. 
Jesus seems to be off hiding somewhere. Jesus seems to have left a back-in-one-hour sign on his throne. And all of this is just another reminder to us that there are seasons in a disciple's life. There are times when we can sing, It is well with my soul, and we mean it, and boy, we will raise our hands And we don't seem like liars when we sing, it is well with my soul. There are times when we sing it and we don't feel like phonies. But there are other times when you have to sing, it is well with my soul. And you feel like you have to convince your heart that it is true. You feel like a big phony when you sing, it is well with my soul. There are times when you feel like you could sing it with confidence if the Lord would just intervene. Psalm 10 is just reminding us that there are ups and downs in life. There are times when things are hard for a reason. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-9. through 9, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Sometimes God hides or he seems hidden from us so that we will seek him. So that we will not rely on ourselves but the God who raises the dead. And that's not a bad description of the God that we serve either, is it? The dead raiser. Is that how you think of God? The dead raiser? Maybe there's a connection between believing that God can bring people back from the dead and how you pray. Maybe there's a connection. Something to think about. But here in Psalm 10, we get two whys in verse 1. And then we see what situation was causing David to ask these questions. The poor were being hotly pursued by arrogant, wicked people. So David is saying, why do you sit back, Lord, when the wicked abuse the poor and pridefully think they can get away with it? They actually think they're going to get away with it, Lord, but you know they won't. So why don't you intervene? Make them get caught in their own traps. It's as if David is telling the Lord, I've, I've been throughout all the villages in, in Israel. I've, I've been to uh, Bethlehem, the, which in Hebrew is the house of bread. I've been to the house of bread, but it seems like it's a haunted house of bread now. Because the wicked are ruling the day. Do you see what's happening here in Psalm 10? David knows Yahweh. He knows the character of Yahweh. And so the Lord's silence and hiddenness doesn't make sense to him. David's perplexed. You're acting in a way that you don't normally act, Lord. You're acting out of character. It doesn't make sense to David that the wicked hotly pursue the poor and the Lord seems to be doing nothing about it. 
But notice that it doesn't keep David from praying. I love this about David here. He's so confused about what God is doing. He doesn't understand why Yahweh has not intervened. He doesn't get the mysterious ways of God. But his confusion does not stop him from praying. Understand this grace. The whys that we pray to God are good. The whys. Why is this happening? Why aren't you doing something, Lord? Why don't you intervene? The whys. They are good prayers. Good questions. Because they are an indicator that we still have faith in God. Even when we don't understand why he is doing what he is doing. It's a good thing to say, why, Lord, why? Why don't you intervene? What's going on? Unfortunately, many Christians get perplexed about God's ways, and then they give up praying. They give up. They get frustrated. They get angry. And instead of seeking God, they cut off all communication with him. David seeks out God when he's confused. David is perplexed, so he prays. He talks to God. He doesn't say to others. He doesn't go to his friends and say, if Yahweh is sovereign and just and powerful, then why does he not intervene? And I suppose there's a place for that, for talking to your friends when you're perplexed. There's a place in community here in the church where you may ask God, ask your friends why God is doing what he's doing. And you need that. You need to be able to go to someone and say, I don't understand what God's doing in my life. Help me understand. But you say that to someone, perhaps a friend. But David's not doing that here. He's not asking one of his friends. He's talking to God. He's complaining to God. And that means he's faithfully seeking God out. When you ask God why, when you complain to him about injustices, why things are the way they are, you're actually seeking him. And that's exactly what God wants you to do. And that's exactly what verses 1 and 2 are screaming at us. When it seems like God is hiding and you can't see him, keep on seeking him. So what is happening that makes the Lord seem hidden and causes David to pray this way? What's got David so upset here in Psalm 10? Here's what it is. It's the way those darn wicked people are acting. The way they strut around and act all cocky. That's that's what's got David all worked up here. There's like monsters in a haunted house. In a haunted house here in Israel. Look at verses 3 through 11 and listen to how he describes these monsters. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. 
He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor and when he, draw, when he draws him into his net, the helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. I hope you have learned from Psalm 10 already that it's okay to ask questions because that's what we need to do before we tackle verses 3 through 11. The question in verse 1 was why. The question we need to ask in verses 3 through 11 is who? Who are the wicked that get described in the verses that I just read? Who is David talking about in verses 3 through 11? I think the wicked here are not unbelieving Gentile nations like the Jebusites or the Amorites or the Hittites or the Perizzites or the Girgashites or any garden variety ite of the time. The wicked here in Psalm 10 are Israelites. The reason I say that the wicked must be fellow Israelites is because in verse 3, it says the wicked man renounces Yahweh, which is, I I take it as he knew Yahweh, but he is turned away from him. Verse 8 says the wicked man hides out in Hebrew villages. If any Gentile had come in, the Israeli police would not have let him hide out in the villages. They would have caught him. Verse 11 says the wicked man thinks that Yahweh has forgotten Israel. Take it to mean... We've heard about this Yahweh God all of our lives, but he's not going to hold us accountable. He's not keeping tabs on us. Verse 13, the wicked man thinks that Yahweh will not call him to account. So I think the wicked in Psalm 10 are fellow Israelites who don't love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They have received the mark of the covenant, yes, circumcision, but their hearts weren't truly circumcised. The wicked uh, of Psalm 10 are Israelites who don't give a rip about the Lord. And they don't care about the people of God. That's the answer to the who question. But let's ask another question. Why does David spill so much ink in talking about these Israelite traitors? Those who abuse fellow Israelites and despise Yahweh, the sovereign Lord. Why does David give them so much press? I think they get so much coverage in Psalm 10 because God wants his people to understand something. That you will always live... And work closely and alongside the wicked. Wicked people who don't love Jesus and believe in him. And some false believers who claim to know Jesus. But they love the world and act like the world. You will always live and work closely and alongside the wicked. It will be uncomfortable. And it will be even more uncomfortable than you can imagine. Because it will seem like God is far off. Like he's hidden. In other words, God will seem distant and hidden and quiet, but the wicked, unbelievers and false believers, will be closer than comfort. Derek Kidner says that it is a function of the Psalms to touch the nerve of this problem and keep its pain alive. 
against the comfort of our familiarity with a corrupt world. It's a function of the Psalms to tap the nerve that we're going to be surrounded by wicked people who don't love Jesus and wicked people who say they love Jesus, but they're not truly regenerate. They're not truly born again. Psalm 10 is just reminding us that the wicked will always be here. That it will always seem like a haunted house. That there will always be injustices in this world. That there will always be people who claim to be Christians, but they love the things of the world. That there will always be pain and suffering. That there will always be people who despise God and they think they can get away with everything. And that's why David uses up so much ink in his pen to write about these people. Psalm 10 is written to cause you and I to pray when these things happen. When it seems like God is hidden and he's doing nothing about it. Like when the government wants to change the definition of marriage. Or when the morning after pill is suddenly available to any girl regardless of her age. In moments like these, when it seems like God is hidden and he's doing nothing, what he is calling us to do, what he is calling the church to do, is to pray. In moments like these, when we are so frustrated about what is happening in our land, maybe our first impulse should be to pray and not go on Facebook to unload. Is your first instinct to pray about your frustrations or is it to unload on some form of social media? Maybe God is saying to us in these times, hey, most everybody already has an opinion on the marriage thing and on the political thing. Most everybody already has their mind made up. Instead of ranting on social media websites and comment sections, alienating half of your friends and getting high fives from the other half, why don't you talk to me about it? Something to think about. Because it's been my experience that no one's political leanings have changed because of some posts that went out on Facebook. I've never met anyone who said, it was because of what you posted. I totally changed my opinion. You either get high fives or you make people mad. And it seems to me the only person that can bring change in this country or in anyone's life about whatever situation it is is God, and we seem to have put him in a timeout in the corner and said, we can handle this. We have social media. I have a voice. Let me speak. God may be in the corner saying, I have ears. Talk to me. When it seems like God is hiding and you can't see him, keep on seeking him. The wicked man in Psalm 10 doesn't believe there's a God. He's thinking he's going to get away with everything. Nothing can stop him, not even God, and that's how he thinks in his heart. 
His heart is full of pride, and his mouth is stuffed too. Verse 7 says his mouth is stuffed. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and depression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Besides teeth and tongue and gums, the wicked man has also managed to cram a few more things into his mouth, as verse 7 says. Cursing, deceit, oppression, mischief, and iniquity. And then in verses 8 through 10, David tells us that the wicked man hides in the dark like a lion and waits to pounce on his weak, helpless victims. He says, his eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. Like a lion, the wicked man feasts on the weak and helpless. And as he's devouring them, he actually says to himself, God won't remember this. He's hidden. He can't see me. But the wicked Israelite man of Psalm 10 should have paid much more attention to the Westminster Shorter Catechism that he learned as a kid, or whatever catechism he learned. Because question 80 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism would have been instructive to him. What is required in the Tenth Commandment? The 10th commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Unfortunately, the wicked Israelite man of Psalm 10 forgot the 10th commandment, which forbids stealing. And so he hides in the dark and pounces on the weak and helpless and takes what isn't his. But fortunately, For the godly, God may seem hidden, but he sees all things. And God has not forgotten the 10th commandment because he's the one who came up with it after all. And that's why David will pray the way he does in verses 12 through 15. Where he will ask the Lord to put the smack down, down on the wicked. Look at verse 12. Arise, O Yahweh. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself, and you have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord, Yahweh, is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Yahweh, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The pain and the anguish that David experiences in Psalm 10 moves him to pray. And at this point in the psalm, David seems to have come to grips with God's hiddenness. But he's perplexed again, and now he asks a different question. Why does the wicked Israelite person renounce God? After all, they've heard the truth. They've heard good preaching. They've been at church. They know the gospel. So why do they think they can get away with everything? Why are they acting like monsters? 
Why are they acting like Freddy Krueger and Leatherface and Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and all the monsters in horror movies? Why do they act this way, God? They've grown up in Israel. They know your word. Why, God? And I think we've all been where David is. We've all known people that have grown up in the church, memorized the Bible, seemingly loved and followed Jesus. And then they walk away. And they live like monsters. And we scratch our heads and we think, why have they renounced you, Jesus? Why do they think they can get away with anything? They used to know that nothing gets past you, but now they think they will get away with everything. Why, God? What do you do when you're perplexed like that? When you're perplexed like David? When you know someone who used to love Jesus. And now when you look at their lives, you think it's as if they never, ever heard. You pray. You remind yourself that God sees everything, that he takes notes, detailed notes of the thoughts and actions of every human being. And that's what verse 14 is saying. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. Are you perplexed about the indifference of the wicked? Then pray. Keep seeking God. And sometimes when you pray, when you're seeking God, you have to ask God to intervene and show off his impressive Brazilian jiu-jitsu skills by throwing an arm bar on the wicked and breaking their arm. That's the God of Psalm 10, 15. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Jesus is quite the MMA fighter. He's quite adept at mixed martial arts. If he throws you in an arm bar or a Kimura or an Americana, you'll end up wearing a sling. Jesus sends his enemies, the wicked, to the doctor where they'll end up wearing a cast that they'll ask their friends to sign. Something to think about. When it seems like God is hiding and you can't see him, keep on seeking him. By the end of Psalm 10, David has got the cobwebs out of his head, which seems to imply that you can be perplexed and worried and stressed out and full of questions, and there's something about praying that has a way of settling you and helping you to get the cobwebs out of your head, because that's where David is by the time he hits verse 16. He says, Yahweh is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Yahweh, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. David has got the cobwebs out of his head by focusing on where Yahweh is even when he can't see him. He's still on his throne. He's the king forever and ever. David has reminded himself. It's gospel rehearsal. That Yahweh is king forever and ever. And that the wicked will be caught and they will perish. And then he describes the Lord 
to the Lord. I love this about David. He is praying to Yahweh, and he starts telling Yahweh about Yahweh. I love this. We do this when we sing, you are the everlasting God. We, we do that. We, we sing songs, and we tell God about God, but how often do we do that in our prayers? How often do we tell God about God to God? That's what David's doing here. He tells the Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their hearts. You will incline their ears. And justice will be served to the fatherless and oppressed. And wicked men will one day be unable to strike terror in others. He's telling God who he is and what he'll do and what he does. And it's all in a day's work of the eternal king who sits on his throne forever and ever. But what do we do? As we await that day, capital D. You know the day that I'm speaking of, yes. The day of the Lord. When he will strike terror in all men who made it their business to strike terror in the weak and the helpless. When he will come to judge those who acted like monsters. And on that day, they will be the victims. Here's how the prophet Isaiah describes it. In Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 11. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless." What do we do while we wait for that day? That day when Jesus will slip an arm bar on his enemies and crank it until the proverbial bone pops out of place. What do we do until then? We pray. We seek him. And we ask God to grant repentance to the wicked so that they might be saved. But maybe we should ask another question as we close. Why does God delay? Why does Jesus wait so long to execute justice and bring in his kingdom? Why does Jesus wait to show off his impressive Brazilian jiu-jitsu skills? Why does he wait to break the arms of his enemies? One reason God delays to judge the wicked is that he is merciful. God is delaying judgment to give the wicked time to repent because he is merciful. You must understand that about Jesus. He is merciful. And guilty, rebellious sinners like you and me are born into this world every day, and yet Jesus waits patiently for them to repent. He is patient, merciful, 
and graciously waiting. But eventually, God will show up and judge sinners because he is just. We want him to show up, be angry at sin, confront the wicked, and then forgive them, all of them, everybody in the world, everybody that's ever lived. Come up, confront us, Lord. Confront our sin, but please forgive us all. But that's what God does in the gospel. That can only happen in the gospel as you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. He confronts our sin in the gospel, and then he says, Jesus took your blame. I punished him for you. My justice is satisfied. Repent and believe, and you are free. We want God to do that with everyone, the entire world, with every human being that's ever lived. But he doesn't. And that's why we talk about Jesus all the time here at Grace. Jesus solves the tension between our sinfulness and rebellion and God's holiness and justice. We need Jesus to bridge the gap between a holy, righteous, just God and wicked, evil sinners like you and me. And the gospel solves the tension. And if you struggle with the fact that God judges sin and that sinners get punished in hell for eternity, then get out there and share the gospel. If it bothers you, start telling people about Jesus. It should bother you if you're a Christian. Now, instead of trying to figure it all out, instead of trying to keep God from being painted as the bad guy, the angry guy, instead of trying to defend him and clean up his image, instead, get out there and start telling people about Jesus. So why does God wait to hold the wicked accountable? Sam Storm says, so why does God wait? Why is justice delayed? In the first place, and as strange as it may sound, God's delay is not a sign of indifference, but kindness. His reluctance to judge quickly provides an extended opportunity for the wicked to repent. Furthermore, God is delaying judgment so that the cup of the wicked might be filled to overflowing so that there might be no question about the justice of their punishment when it finally does come. Finally, God's judgment is delayed until the fullness of God's family comes in. God delays the return of his son, not because he has overlooked the wicked, but because he still has his elect to save. And when the chosen of God have all come in, justice will prevail. God is waiting to put the smack down, down on his enemies, so that more of his family comes in. The real question We've answered a lot of questions today. The real question you should be asking today is, are you a part of God's family? Have you turned from your sins? Have you admitted your rebellion? And are you turning and trusting in Jesus Christ alone to be made right with the holy God? Will you believe today? If you are a part of God's adopted family because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection then give thanks today that Jesus is still on his throne. Oh, you may not see him, but he is there. You may have questions. You may be perplexed. You may be looking around and say, life is dark. It's like a haunted house. There's monsters all around. I'm trying to find your pant leg, God, to hang on. Where are you? That's okay. That's a good place to be. Ask Jesus questions. Why? Why is this happening? What's going on? 
Because when you're talking to him and asking him questions, it means you still have faith. It means you are seeking him. And when it seems like God is hiding and you can't see him, keep on seeking him. And when you keep seeking him, then the gospel promise of verse 17 in Psalm 10 will be true. Where David says, you will strengthen their heart. When you seek Jesus, he will strengthen your heart. Seek him and he will strengthen your heart. So let's seek him now. Father, we come to you and we want to pray like David. We want to tell you about you. You are the God who saves sinners because you're merciful and gracious. Do it now. You are the God who strengthens the hearts of your children when they seek you. So do it now. You are the eternal king who sits on his throne forever and ever. You are the God that is patiently waiting for the wicked to repent. You are the God who sits on his throne You are the God who is there even though it seems like you're hidden. You are the God who strengthens the hearts of your children. Do it now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.